Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Josh Gibson. He's currently the athletic director, head football coach at Pleasant Grove High School in Texarkana, Texas. He's married to Jennifer. They have two kids, an incredible man of God, incredible leader. I can't wait for you to hear from him, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Gibson. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You bet. So I'd like to start this off, if you don't mind, just a little background information, just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, a little bit about where you grew up, your family growing up, and then your family today. Sure. So um, I, I was pretty fortunate as a, as a head coach now that I grew up in a, in a coaching family. Um, my dad, I was born in Plano, Texas, kind of back in their heyday in 78. And uh, my dad was coming up the ranks in the Plano system at that time. So a lot of success, Tom Kimbrough and John Clark, you know, were at the top back then, both have a stadium named after him. Um, my dad got his first head job at Sherman where he went to school. I think when he was 28, he was a young head coach. The following year gets a job at Sam Houston state in Huntsville, Texas. Um, and so we moved around a little bit early on and then stayed there from first grade all the way through my senior year. Um, when, when we were at, uh, Sam Houston state, my, or in Huntsville, my parents went through a divorce and a couple of years after their divorce, my mom ended up remarrying a gentleman who came in as the athletic director, um, at Sam Houston. And he was an academic. He was the health and kinesiology department chair. And I think the reason that's important is because I was able to see sports from a football coach perspective. And then also an all-athletic program perspective, going to volleyball and softball games and, and that sort of stuff growing up. Um, when, uh, when I graduated Huntsville, my dad was coaching. He's the head coach at Howard Payne University. So um, went to Brownwood, Texas, and uh, played football for four years there. Um, really enjoyed it. Loved the, uh, just the spirit of the university. Loved the camaraderie of our team. We had a lot of success during those years. Um, I, 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 my dad's still the, you know, winningest coach at, at, at Howard Payne, and he was able to do that because he had great coaches on his staff that really knew how to recruit. Blake Anderson that's at Arkansas State as the head coach was on his staff. Um, Phil Fuller, Scotty Conley, who was at Tennessee A&M, a lot of different places. Um, Mike Nesbitt was the OC at Houston. And, you know, all those guys, and head coach at West Texas A&M, Brian Maper, all those guys um, really knew how to recruit at an elite level and bring guys in. And, uh, you know, I love my teammates and love my four years. Um, I married my high school sweetheart, Jennifer, and uh, we have a daughter, Jordan, who just graduated the University of North Texas um, in December. And then my son, Jackson, is an eighth grader here at Pleasant Grove. He is uh, 14 years old. Um, the other thing I'd say about my family is my brother, um, two years younger than me, you know, played the same middle school, the same high school, went to Howard Payne as well, coached with me at Plano, coached me at Frisco for nine years with our dad, and then he came out here with me as my assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, kind of helped us build PG um, into what we are, so I'm really appreciative of him as well. So what is it like having a brother on your staff? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I think one of the things that you look for, um, and, and we had it at Frisco with a dad and a brother on the same staff, is, is you look for loyalty and you look for guys that are on the same page when, when you're on a team together. 
and 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 there's a dynamic with the family. Um, it's it's tough to get somebody that's more loyal than than your son or more loyal, you know, than your brother. And so um, just that loyalty, that passion, that love for the program, um, and you don't have to you don't have to worry about it. It's always going to be there. That's been huge. That is huge. Wow. So you talked about your family growing up a lot about your, your, your dad's coaching success. You mentioned your mom. Um, at what point in your faith did, did, was your family, um, were you exposed to, to faith in your family? Then at what point did you make that decision, uh, for a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah. You know, um, dad was a really strong Christian and so was my mom. My, her brother's actually was a pastor and my, my grandfather was a, one of the deacons at his church. And so came from two families that were, it had extremely strong faith on both sides. And, um, I think I made it my own, you know, when, when I was in fourth grade, I can remember the night, you know, I asked, I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. I, we, we were working on the farm in the summer, um, at my granddad's and came back and was laying on a cot and had a conversation with my dad, um, in the same room. And, um, and that's when I accepted, you know, Jesus is my savior that night. Very good. And you talked about, we'll talk about your faith a little bit more. I want to get back to your, uh, your, your, your coaching. So you talked about, you know, playing for your dad and you've coached for your dad quite a bit. Now you're, um, head football coach at Pleasant Grove, um, Texarkana, Texas. So you've had a lot of success, um, even won a state championship. Should talk about, the success there is, you know, being the head coach and just that early success that you've had there and, you know, and then balancing that with humility. Well, you know, we, we preach it with our kids. We're fortunate right now. We have, we have two of the top 10 ranked prospects in the state of Texas. And so for four years, we knew these guys, one, six, six, one, six, five. I mean, they've been offered by Alabama, LSU, everybody, you, you know, you have to teach them humility and, and, and we preach it so much so that we have a selfless team. Um, the fact that to get ahead as a team, it, it takes so many, um, so many parts. And, uh, and, and everybody has to embrace their role and nobody's bigger than the other. And then come from the biblical, you know, um, truth that it, it, the pride comes before the fall. You're going to reap what you sow and you focus on yourself and you're going to be humbled. And, uh, and I think to be successful in football – any coach that's listening or any player knows how many people it takes. It takes so many, um, so many people that are locked in and on the same page. And if you think you've done it by yourself for a New York minute, you're, you're fooling yourself in this game. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I love about football is it does take so many people, you know, you're not out there by yourself in golf or tennis and, and it's not a sport where there's five or nine starters. I mean, we got 22 and, 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 and huge staffs that we're fortunate to have in Texas, but you got to get them all on the same page. And, and when you're having success, you're doing it together. Um, and, and, and you cannot do it alone. I've, I've been on teams that went 0 and 10 and, and been on a team that, you know, has went to state three years in a row and I'm the same coach. Um, but you, you need talent, you need guys that are bought in and you need each other and you, and you just cannot do it alone. So this success that we've had, comes first and foremost that we were able to have some really good football players that we were blessed with. We have a great staff um, that we built over the six years here. It's, it's gotten better each and every year. Um, 
anytime a position opens, I, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I, I pray a lot about the type of person that's going to come in and impact our kids. Um, and, and, and God has, he has blessed us with some unbelievable men. And so we're all, we're, we're all responsible for that together as well as our administration, an unbelievable community. Um, and so humility comes easy to me when you have success in football because you know how many people truly helped you get there. That's good. That's very good. So what role does your faith play in your coaching? And then have you experienced any resistance from either um, administration, parents, players? Yeah. So I would say, you know, when I first got into coaching, I knew I wanted to do this since I was two years old. Um, I was on my dad's hip going to practices with him and he was my hero and, and I looked up to him and he's a great one to look up to. I mean, he's a guy that I, I, I might have heard him say a curse word two times his whole life. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and at the college level, every I was hearing it from everybody else, you know, not when he was at Howard Payne, but maybe at Sam Houston State. So a really good role model there um, and wanted to get into football because of my love of the game. And so at 18 years old, when you go and you start studying this, the thing that drew me to football was the, my passion to play it and, and the fun that I had. And even as a coach early on, I probably coached more to – I was extremely relational with the kids, but I coached more to get ahead in my career as opposed to truly seeing it as a calling. And I think there was a shift um, probably the last couple of years I was at Frisco and a lot of growth even the first two years here leading my own program on um, understanding that the, the – the, the only reason that I'm doing this is, is because I feel called to do it, or that's the most important reason why we do this. And, um, and, and when you do it that way, your perspective changes a great deal. And, um, and so that's kind of been my journey with, you know, how my faith has played um, a role in my coaching. And, and it's become extremely, extremely important. It's the most important thing um, with the way that we coach our kids and develop our program here at Pleasant Grove resistance we we had that at frisco um and and we were you know told not to not to pray with our team before the games um and i think the the when you build those relationships with just different kids from different backgrounds and stuff you know frisco i think has three or four temples now a lot of uh muslims there but and we had a couple on our football team and i remember the year we were asked to stop praying um I'd wondered, was my dad going to open, you know, the game in prayer? And, uh, and, and he did in our locker room. And if a kid would have turned him in, you know, he would have probably got called on it um, and not backed up because in Frisco, I mean, you're told not to do that. You don't do it. But I think just relationally, the way that he, you know, um, captured the kids' hearts, they respected him. And that was something we continued to do. But, you know, we couldn't we couldn't pull kids back into Bible studies or talk about it at the end of practice. And, and when I come to Pleasant Grove, completely different culture and, um, and a lot more leniency um, as far as separation of church and school and all that. Um, as soon as I get the job, they, they stop at the board meeting and pray for me. The gentleman on the radio show prays for me over the air, asks people in the community to do the same thing. And I was like, well, you know, we don't have to hide from it here in Texarkana and um, just feel like it's a little bit more 1980s style. Um, parents want that out here. Our school board wants that. Our community wants it. And we've been able to 
to express our faith with our kids and help use it as a tool to help grow them, you know, as Christian men, but also as, as young men who, who are growing and, and need to, uh, need to have a great relationships with some good mentors. That's awesome. I'm just trying to picture school board and radio host praying over new head coach. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, and, and that night it impacted us driving back to Frisco. We talked about it. We were, we were really in awe and we we're like, okay, it's, it's different. You know, we, we wanted a 1980 style throwback value system type bill. And not to say we weren't getting a lot of that stuff at Frisco It's just different. Um, uh, times have changed. And I, I, just to be as honest as I can, I kind of consider some of the progressive districts in the Metroplex a little bit more corporate style there. Um, and, and here they're, they're going to, they're going to lead with the, with the values that they've had and not let, you know, one group or small groups dictate how we do things. And, and that's how it's being run at this time. And I think we're blessed to be in an area like this, especially now that our, that our son's growing up in this district. Yeah, that's huge, especially as a parent. That's that that's that's a a huge huge asset. So you mentioned, um, you know, profanity or the lack thereof from from your dad, and you know what that meant to you. So I'm going to jump down on the questions I sent you to one that I want to ask about. You know, this whole mindset that all coaches have to cuss type thing, that old school mentality. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, how do you balance? coaching a kid hard, demanding excellence with that, that fine line of when it does become kind of degrading when they're profanity. So how do you balance that? Yeah, I think, I think there's a, the, the fine line that we're walking there. I always call it like a, a, a coach kind of has to play Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You have to be extremely demanding. And I do appreciate a lot of the old school ways with discipline where, mm-hmm. where you do things this way because we ask you to do it. And there is a respect factor there. Um, you have to gain kids trust a little bit more today. Um, but I, I, we want to, that our number one core value in our program is to build healthy relationships. I mean, we, it's all about relationships and having a great time with the kids in our program and building memories that they're going to have for the rest of their lives, but also building good young men. And the way that we can do that um, is if we get as close to them as possible. So, and I know I'm drifting here a little bit, but, our whole coaching philosophy is kind of if I can get kids to look at me the same way that I looked at my father, he was my hero. I would have done anything for him. Um, then we're at a good place. And so we, I mean, we write letters to each other. We have mailboxes. We deliver letters in the, in the locker room and we tap into the relational component really, really well. But um, going back to the, you know, the cursing and not cursing, I think you can go to a place like Frisco where there's a little bit more separation and you have to, uh, you have to witness by, um, by the way that you behave and, and, and more of a model of how you're living. And so it's extremely important since you can't talk about it as much that kids can see something special in you, the way that you handle yourself and the example that you are, you're living in a, you're living in a way that's pleasing to Christ and others and kids see a sparkle and they come and talk to you about that. We're here um, you know, we can, if, 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 if we dropped the ball and we, we, we cursed and, and our staff did a great job this year of like almost totally eliminating any cursing from our program at the coaching level and at the kid level is something that we really, you know, wanted to focus on. Um, 
if somebody drops the ball, I mean, there's apologies. You can talk about it. You can talk about the type of behavior um, and, and hit it from that respect. But I think the number one thing is you go back to, you know, how the shirts and the bumper stickers in the 90s, what would Jesus do? I mean, we're called to act like that all the time. And, and the greatest teacher in the history can do it in a way where it's not demeaning or degrading to others and, and capture your heart. And so that's the same way that we need to coach. And, um, and if you're doing it the right way, you don't have to browbeat a kid. I think you can love them as much as anything and get him to follow you through that respect and still be demanding. That's good. So the mailbox deal, is that uh, players writing letters to each other, coaches writing letters to players? Yeah, both ways and coaches to coaches. Um, so we, we all have uh, lunch sacks that are white and uh, cut the tops off of them about four inches, open them up, decorate them. And I got it from when I was teaching teen leadership in, uh, in Frisco um, it was a program that was called capturing kids' hearts. And so the same thing in coaching. We talked about it earlier. If we can get them to look at us as, as true father figures. And I mean, I'm talking not like he's my coach. So I'm, I'm talking like they love us intimately mm-hmm. because of the investment that we've made in them and how much time we've given them and how much we spend take care of them and all that stuff then they'll do anything for us well one way that we do that is by writing them you know pretty deep um notes and we'll write notes of affirmation notes of encouragement and drop it in their mailboxes and kids will write two to three of those a day and then at the end of the week on game day you know we'll read them and uh coaches write to their position players or, or to jv scout players coaches write to coaches and i mean it's cool the oldest coach on our staff he's a retired rehire guy um He's 58 years old, and I, I wrote him a, a letter this year on the anniversary of when his father passed away and just try, try to encourage him on the legacy that is so cool for me to see and how proud I know his dad would be of him. You got a 58-year-old man who has that same note that I wrote him posted up on his cork board, and it's it's in his eyesight. And I'm like, that that's what those things do for us. I mean, they, they give us juice. They boast, boost us up. They – let us know people love us and think about us. And I think it's a great tool that, that, that we've, you know, been using here at Pleasant Grove for a while. I love that because I think that letter writing is kind of a lost art. And that's what, and that's what makes them so important is, I mean, when's the last time you've received a written note from, from mm-hmm. anyone there? And when they're rare, rare, you know, they become, I think the value goes up when they're, when they're rare. And so now you're getting those, and um, and we're working also working with young kids on how to express gratitude to others. And at first, you know, I remember the first year we did it, they were kind of sitting there like, man, this is going to be awkward. And so we use a couple of kids, stand up, read one to your teammate and, and, and really brag on them. Um, but it was cool to see the first the first time they the whole team came in the team room and brought their mailboxes and brought the note cards out and started reading them. Um, we had implemented it during a playoff run and, and, and felt like something was kind of missing, didn't do it the first two years. And I saw a kid reading it and he was tearing up. He's playing at Texas Tech now. And he said, uh, he said, coach, when are we going to get to check our mailboxes again? And I told him, I said, we'll check them. You know, each week we keep winning in the playoffs. And then this year we started it right off the bat in fall camp just to get that encouragement going early. 
That's unbelievable. I just that just bring sends chills down my spine just thinking about the impact. And it's funny. I was talking to uh, a coach friend just the other day about um, he had written a letter to all of his team just during this whole pandemic deal, and we were yeah. talking about you know some of these kids have probably never received mm-hmm. a handwritten note outside of a card, you know, like for their birthday yeah. from a family member. You know, so just that just the power of it is unbelievable. Yeah. And the cool thing about these is I have I have my mailboxes with letters still in my closet from kids that wrote me in my team in our team leadership class in Frisco. But I told the guys, I say, you open these up in 15 years and start reading back on some of them, especially the fact that, you know, they get a little bit deeper the more you do them. And the past three years, we played 16 games all three years. And there's so many letters that are in these guys mailboxes. And we give them a new mailbox each year so they can take that one home, put 2019 on it, and, and mm-hmm. come back and read it in 10 years. I said, guys, it'll be cool. Like, don't toss them. You're, you're going you're gonna to really appreciate them, and there'll be some good uh, memorabilia mementos to look back on. Oh, absolutely, especially by writing the year down because they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll remember, you know, those different seasons. That's good. So let me ask you, um, you know, your career um, – has a lot of demand on your time. So how do you balance that with being a husband and a dad? Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for any coach to do. And there's a lot of other professions where, where it's tough. Um, so the, I can tell you why it impacted me so much this way. Um, my dad, like I said, I mean, I think when he got his head coaching job at Sherman back then, it was in the biggest classification. He was 28. He was one of the youngest head coaches in the state. Then the next year, he's a Division One assistant head coach coordinator at 29 years old at Sam Houston. I mean, he's really climbing the ladder. And his goal was to go coach at a Texas or A&M. Um, and uh, I think about three, four years into it, um, my mom uh, and him went through a spot where she felt like he was more married to the job. He was up there at 6 in the morning staying till midnight. So – she didn't get to see him at all. And, uh, and that's kind of where they went through a separation. And at that point, my dad was willing to give up his college job. He actually did. He told her he'd go back down to, to high school to save the marriage. And, uh, and he did that. And, and they stayed, you know, they, they went through the divorce, but he was hoping to, you know, win her back, um, and changed his priorities. And, uh, and, and it didn't work out, you know, um, but, but I saw what it did to him and how good a man he was. I saw what it did to my mom. And so when I became a coach, I was like, I, it's going to be hard to balance football, faith, and my family. And mm-hmm. going through that divorce, when I lost my hero from our house, and my dad moves on, um, I, was, I, I just knew then and there I was going to choose one woman to be with the rest of my life. Um, I was going to give my wife and my kids a bunch of time. So one thing I do, and I tell most coaches, if you're going to be a good football coach, you better not have a bunch of hobbies, and I don't. I mean, it is it is really only those three things. I don't fish. I don't golf. I know a lot of coaches do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the passion that I have for football and as much time as I put into other people's kids, I still have to make sure that I have enough time for my own family and then obviously time for the most important thing, which is building my faith and and, and, and my relationship with Christ. And, uh, and those three things are, are, are hard to balance, but, 
I think if you're cognizant of that and you understand that, um, there's going to be a shift at times where your family taking a little bit more time or our football starts taking a little bit more time and you have to reset and go, hold on, I, I've got to slow down and, and keep the most important thing most important. And when things have got busy and hectic for me, I feel like I'm really smart. I start relying on myself and I screw mm. things up as smart as I am or I think I am. That's when things start going to pot. And when I stop and slow down and go, okay, hold on. I, I can't do this. I have to, I, I have to rely on God and I have to do things the way he would want me to do. And the way I'm called to do everything starts sliding back into balance. And, um, I, that, that's been, that's kind of been my walk with that, but balance is hard. It's hard, but I think you gotta, you gotta start off and, um, you know, keep your faith number one and go from there. And I, the one way I think it's good to do if you're a head coach is hire men on your staff that, that are, that are great Christian men. And then, you know, we have a coaches outreach that we do weekly. We even did it by zoom last week. And so we're holding each other accountable and growing together. But I think the accountability part is, is awesome too. Yeah. And you, you said it right though. The minute we get comfortable, I think we get all figured out is when things start, start going down. I can give you, we don't have enough time for me to give you examples of how I've oh, screwed I that up. <laughs> I give you a bunch of that myself. And yeah, it's exactly what I said when I start trying to, and, and not because I want to, not because of a pride thing, but I'm just bogged down so much. I just try to do things on my own mm-hmm. and, and go quickly through Bible study, quickly through prayer as fast as I can to make sure I'm doing that, but not putting the time and focus mm-hmm. I need. And then my perspective changes, you know, because it's skewed at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So this next question, um, it's got to do with the role of sports in our culture, because, you know, we live in a divided culture, whether it's race, politics, religion, socioeconomics, you name it. Um, There's plenty of division. Um, But football in particular has this unique ability to kind of tear down those walls. So your experience, player, coach, how have you seen sports tear down those walls of division? Yeah, it's the closest uh, thing I think. I think it's the closest thing to heaven that we're going to see on earth. Is our uh, mm. is 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 what we get in a locker room. You have kids of other races, other other religions, even from all socio demographics. It doesn't matter, and and nobody cares about it. There's just a love for your teammate, for your brother in there. Coaches don't care. They're 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 usually you know trying to develop a relationship with every kid in there, but going to play the the kid that has been the most committed, it doesn't matter his race, how much money makes and all that. And so none of that counts in football. The only thing that counts is your heart for growing in your production. And then if you're struggling with that, we pick each other up. Um, and I think it's just so pure. And, and I can't think of another place where, where, where it is as pure, even, even church, for an example, churches, you go into them. A lot of times you see a certain, just a certain type of demographic in a church. It might be 95% Caucasian. Another one's 95% African-American or 95% Muslim. Mm-hmm. But you get a football team and, and it's, it's just a great blend and, and nobody cares. I mean, we're all having dinner in there with different races and different socios, but people aren't doing that in their regular life. They, we don't live in neighborhoods like that a lot of times. And so I, I think it's the purest form of, of, of what we can see, um, what, you know, kind of like I tell the kids, I'm like, man, we're, this is like heaven on earth. And, and hopefully 
you can help build this in the companies that you go to a culture that's extremely similar to, to what we built in here, where we care for each other and put each other above ourselves and all that good stuff. That's good. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a beautiful picture um, for sure of what we as believers should be living outside the game of football, inside the church, you know, the common goal. And, but, you know, we even, we let all kind of things distract us. So let me ask you, um, you know, as a coach, a lot of our listeners are fellow coaches and, and student athletes and athletics is a platform. I mean, I think that's, that's clear. It can be used for good or bad, but what would you say to that coach or student athlete that is a believer wants to use that platform to be bold in their faith? How would you encourage them to do that? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's a responsibility that we have. Um, so like I said, right now, you know, we have, we have two of the top 10 kids in the state and uh, we've told them, we're like, you, you didn't earn the abilities that you have that made you six, six or, or, and 250. And, and, and I mean, they're just freaky looking guys. The other ones, six, five and a half, you know, 280, but you, you have these, those gifts God gave to you and, and, and the ability we chisel it up and do the best we can, but we're going to have to answer for what we did with those gifts. And each of us have unique ones. And so you have a special platform. Um, I mean, Landon Jackson, our, our defensive end, uh, he, he's amazing talent. The guy's probably done 65 um, interviews since January alone. He did one this morning with the news. We did one in my living room via Zoom, you know, and, and what opportunity you have to make an impact. So do you mm-hmm. take your talents and you use them and, uh, and you use them for yourself and you get ahead? Or, or do you take your talents and you truly make an impact and help your school grow, help your community grow, help others grow? And, and, and I think that's the, that's the task we all have to put on ourselves. You know, um, go back to that Billy Graham quote that you see coaches put out a lot of times, a coach will impact more kids in a, in a year than most people will in a lifetime. And I'd start seeing coaches post that on Twitter a lot a few years ago. And I'm like, we're going to have to answer for that. Like mm. I, I would see coaches post it and I'm going, you know, like we're bragging about what we're, what we're going to have to do. But that scares me a lot because at some point, you know, we're going to get called and God's going to say, man, what, you know, what did you do with all these gifts I gave you? And the gifts being the kids with all these opportunities I gave you with this head coaching job in Texas or Canon Pleasant Grove. What did you do with that? And um, I, I think we have to be bold. I think we, we have to keep him first and, uh, and make sure that, that that's why we're in this business of, of impacting, you know, kids and coaching and coaches and communities. And as a player or, or a coach, that's, that's the number one goal. And if you're not a player or a coach, that's still the number one goal. That's right. Um, is witnessing and bringing others to him. So using your talents and gifts um, to truly make an impact and grow others. That's good. I like that, that, you know, just that reminder that no matter who we are, we're going to have to answer for the opportunities that are before us. So let me ask you, uh, you know, a lot of people have a favorite scripture, a life verse. I always like to ask, or is there one that God has uh, shown you recently that you would share to encourage us? Yeah. So I, I brought this from my desk. It was at, it was at the office and um, it, you'll see it in reverse mode, but it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for the body is not one member, but many. And we use that with our team a lot this year 
because um, we, we did have a couple of high-profile guys. Um, our, our quarterback was the cover boy for a football. And, and so what we talk about here is if we ever put the focus on ourselves and the whole pride before the fall, we, you know, you get prideful, God will humble you. And so we need to be selfless, but to be the best we can be, we need each other, you know? Um, and, and that's why, that's why there is church. You know, we need that fellowship. We need that accountability. That's why there's small groups for that. Um, and in football, we need every single person to be the best version of themselves. And, and, and this is what we say. If I'm a better Christian man, if, if I'm the best version of, of a Christian man as I can be, I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better coach. I'm going to be a better brother. I'm going to be a better husband. And, and I'm going to be a better football coach. And so that's the challenge for them too. And when we're all doing it, we become the best team. And so really buying in to the, the fact that true success Personally, personal growth, it, it, it doesn't happen on your own. We need others to help us grow, right? And, um, and, and football success, we need others to help us grow. And um, that you, you, we, we do have to challenge ourselves a lot, but we need each other desperately to become the best versions of ourselves and the best team. So that kind of became um, a verse that we threw out early on this year and, and really stuck through are stuck to and being selfless and putting the focus on others and knowing that the, the strongest part of our team is each one of us being our best. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's That, that's, that's excellent. Um, can be used. I mean, clearly in football, but even in life, no matter where you are, um, just remember that um, we're, you're a part of a team. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So let's close it out with uh, it's kind of a practical question. The two words that are huge in sports all in, we don't have to explain what they are. They're all over sports, but it's also all over Jesus's teachings that if you're going to follow him, you, you need to deny yourself. You got to be selfless. So what does that look like um, coach in, in a practical sense in your daily walk with Christ? Yeah, I think two things that we ask the kids to do with our, with our football team are the same things we're, we're called to do with, with, with our faith. And um, yeah, I don't know if you watch the state championship game, but on the back of our jerseys, it said heart and soul. And so we tell the kids, you got to put your heart and soul into the team. You can't ask for anything more than that. And then the speed we go at is full tilt every day. We're going to go as hard as we possibly can in everything that we do. And so that applies just like a lot of biblical truths. To, to everything in life, whether you're a believer or not. But the coolest thing is like a lot of the things like you're, we're going to reap what we sow, that type of deal, you know, that that's applicable and people understand that whether they're a believer or not, but being all in and truly doing it right. Um, I know we recognize as believers that we have to be all in for Christ and we have to hold ourselves accountable to do that. Um, I think that's why we're going through, um, you can call it the coronavirus. I'll call it the great reset and, and getting our priorities reset in a way that um, where we look to God one and then family number two. And, um, and, and there's no greater time to do that than right now and uh, to truly be all in for him. And then let's see the way that, that that changes the way that we do business and the way we treat each other and the unity that can come from that. But all in is putting your heart and soul into it. And I think, I think um, we got to start with putting our heart and soul into, into Jesus and, and, and getting in his word and reading it every day. And then um, 
and doing our best to witness to others and bring them closer to him as well. And if we're not doing that, we're, we're going lip service to putting our heart and soul into it. That's right. No, that's good. I like that. I didn't, I didn't watch the all state championship game, but um, I know some of the regional sports channels have been showing some of them during, since there's no sports on right now. So uh, I may have to go see if, see if I can find that because I saw some of the state championship games on uh, last week, but I didn't watch them. I may have to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go look that up. Um, I think that's pretty cool in the back of your jerseys to have that. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a picture of a couple of kids wearing it. It does. It looks pretty neat. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Please do. Good deal. Hey, um, I do appreciate your time and just, just your enthusiasm and passion. I know I've been encouraged and I know those listening as well. Well, I appreciate you having me and uh, hope uh, we continue to grow ourselves out here in Pleasant Grove and make things better and, and pray that everybody across our state and nation does the same thing. Awesome. Thank you again to Coach Gibson for taking time to share his story. Just an incredible, incredible man of God, incredible man of character, um, young leader with having lots of success. And I believe God is using him to change lives. So many things to talk about as usual um, as we look at listen to his story and look at the notes. Um, One of the things I loved was the mailboxes in the locker room and having coaches write letters to coaches, coaches write letters to kids, um, kids writing letters to kids. That just really, really encouraged me and impacted me a lot. Just the power of gratitude, the power of encouragement, to others, and that's how really you want to change this culture and show love. It's building each other up. So, you know, just the last thing, you know, I, I just want to encourage you with. He says it's it's our responsibility to be bold for Jesus. It's not an option. Um, how we live our lives should reflect Jesus if we claim to be a follower, and that comes from time in the Word time in prayer, and just putting everything in our lives into Jesus and everything else is secondary. Thank you for listening. I'd ask you to share this episode with somebody. You can look us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just type in All In Sports Outreach or our website, allinsportsoutreach.org. Find out who we are, why we do what we do, interact with us. Thank you again for listening. Again, I encourage you to share this with somebody. And until next time.